Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting to over 60 countries from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, overlooking all of West LA and the city. It's absolutely beautiful. The uh, smoke from the big fires here has cleared up a bit, so it's really nice. We're right in the centre of the Silicon Beach startup capital and uh, the fastest growing part of the world for entrepreneurs. This program for over five years has been all about helping entrepreneurs and everybody in business to be more successful. We've been bringing you information, tips, great advice and interviews for over five years and this is to help you to maximise your own success. And I also want to thank you, all our loyal listeners, for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really appreciate that. Have you noticed the millions of people meandering around, staring at their screen, wandering around stores, behind trash cans, into front yards, retail, entertainment attractions, and even city councils are using Pokemons to attract the hordes of uh, Pokemon Go fans into their area. Pokemon Go has fused the real world and the virtual world. It, it, it allows you to find and catch more than 150 species of Pokemon as you explore your real world surroundings, as you walk down the street, as you go to your shopping centre, as you do the things that you would normally do. And now, with the lure of the Pokemon, do a whole bunch of shit that you wouldn't normally do. So step outside your house and uh, find and catch that wild Pokemon. I had my son staying with me last weekend and the first thing he did when he arrived at the house was wander around and just up and down the street 100 yards looking for Pokemon. (laughs) God. So um, you can explore cities and towns around where you live and even almost everywhere in the world to capture as many Pokemon as you can. And as you... As you move around, your smartphone vibrates to let you know that you're near a Pokemon. And once you've encountered that Pokemon, you can see it on your screen. You can see its location. You take aim on your smartphone's touchscreen, throw a Pokeball to catch it, and you've got yourself one of the 151 Pokemons. But there's a whole bunch more to it. You've got eggs that have got a hatch, and you've got to do all sorts of things. It's, um, so there's a lot more to it. But this is a true phenomenon. A few nights ago, there was a report that a rare Pokemon was at um, Santa Monica Pier in Los Angeles. And like at 2 a.m. in the morning, there's hundreds of people descended on Santa Monica Pier to search for this Pokemon. Now, when Pokemon Go was released just a few weeks ago, the websites crashed with over 600,000 calls per second. Think about that, 600,000 calls per second. That is a fucking heap. And Nintendo's market cap increased by $9 billion overnight. It's since sagged a little bit, but nevertheless, 
in just a few weeks, Pokemon Go has become the most viral mobile application of all time, overtaking Twitter with 21 million daily active users. And we all thought that Candy Crush and Clash Royale and Minecraft were huge. Well, Pokemon Go is now the biggest mobile game in US history. Pokemon Go is closing in on Snapchat on Android and uh, could even surpass Google Maps on Android. That's pretty incredible. And while the number of active users is interesting, it's also important to track just how long these users engage. Now, according to the intelligence firm Sensor Tower, the average iPhone user is using 33 minutes on Pokemon Go compared with 22 minutes on Facebook. That's 50% more than Facebook. And only 18 minutes for Snapchat. So it's nearly double the time spent on Snapchat. In addition to capitalising on the Pokemon brand, the app has introduced brilliant gaming mechanics in terms of keeping players active, engaged, returning and spending. So please be nice to all those weird Pokemon Go players who are in a daze, spellbound on their smartphone. Don't shoot them if they stumble onto your property. Don't run them over with your car if they're walking down the middle of the street. These poor souls are on a mission. I mean, they're really dedicated. If only we could find a way to get them out to vote. Now, that would be an achievement. John Scholl, the customer service guru and president of the Service Quality Institute, and a great guy and a friend and a associate of mine has written a piece called from average to awesome and i recommend it to everyone just as a pricey howard schultz the ceo of starbucks says that there are moments in our lives when we summon the courage to make choices that go against reason that go against common sense and also go against the wise counsel of people we trust. But we proceed nonetheless because despite all the risks and the rational argument, we believe that the path we are choosing is the right and best thing to do. So you need to shake off all the setbacks and keep moving forward. How many people have had smooth beginnings? I've, I've had a whole bunch of starts and I've had a whole bunch of failures had a few successes along the way, and that's, of course, what keeps you going. But how many people have failed at their first attempt at success? Lots. And many have failed more than once on their road to achieving successful businesses. I know guys that have failed over and over and over again and cracked a huge one. And they end up achieving way beyond what people thought was possible. They didn't listen to the negatives. They just forged ahead. Now, the Disney organisation rakes in billions of dollars from merchandise, movies and theme parks around the world. But Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because they said he lacked imagination and he didn't have any good ideas. Disney then started a number of businesses that didn't last too long. And in fact, they ended up with bankruptcy and failure. But Walt kept plugging along and eventually he found a recipe for success that worked and really worked. Albert Einstein was a genius. 
but he didn't always show much promise. Einstein didn't speak until he was four, couldn't read until he was seven, which caused his teachers and parents to think that he was mentally handicapped, slow and antisocial. Hmm. Thomas Edison's teachers said he was too stupid to learn anything. When he began working, he was fired from his first two jobs for not being productive enough. Even as an inventor, Edison made over 10,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. In his first screen test, the testing director of MGM noted that Fred Astaire, the guy can't act, he can't sing, he's slightly bald, but he can dance a little. Astaire went on to become an incredibly successful actor, singer and dancer, and he kept that note. The one can't can't sing slightly bald, can dance a little, in his Beverly Hills home to remind himself where he came from. That's great. I could paper my walls with that sort of stuff. Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strip has had unbelievable fame, published in newspapers right across the world, yet every cartoon he submitted was rejected by his high school yearbook. Even after high school, Schultz applied and was rejected for a position at Walt Disney. Before J.K. Rowling published a series of novels, she was nearly penniless, severely depressed, she was divorced, she was trying to raise a child on her own while attending school and writing a novel. So she went from depending on welfare to being one of the richest women in the world in a span of only five years, all through hard work and determination. And I love this story, and I've heard it a million times before. Michael Jordan is lauded as the best basketball player of all time, probably much in par with LeBron James. But he was actually cut from his high school basketball team. Luckily, Jordan didn't let this stop him from playing the game. He himself has said that he missed more than 9,000 shots in his career. He lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, he was entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and he missed. He failed over and over and over and over again in his life, and that's why he succeeded. So what's the one thing that all of these people have in common? They all took 100% responsibility for the life that they live. They chose to be awesome. How many people in your life have set the bar really high? How many people have really set a great example for you? So why don't you be the one that sets the example for others? And if you're looking for that magic bullet to improve your life, your career and relationships... You've got to do what it takes. You've got to do the hard yards. In my experience, the only three things that make you successful are hard work, hard work, and hard work. You put in the hard yards, you'll get the result. 
if you're looking for a magic bullet, a shortcut, well, I hate to disappoint you, but there ain't one. The cornerstone of success is comprised of really four pretty simple principles. You've got to have a real belief and a passion in what you're doing. You've got to have dedication. You've got to be laser-focused. And you've got to have some skill. Every great accomplishment, either in business or life, came as a result of somebody making a decision and executing what they wanted. Nothing just happens. Innovative, risk-taking people get out there, push the envelope, kick the shit out of the world and make things happen. Now, you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. This week, broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, the center of the Silicon Beach startup capital. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me. It's bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or I'll take some time and I'll email you directly. I'd love to help. So make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. And on my website, bobpritchard.com, you'll see that I have a new page called the Bob Pritchard Success Pathway, and this is designed to assist international entrepreneurs as well as American entrepreneurs to access contacts, expertise, and funding in North America. Um, We have established some great partnerships around the planet, which we will announce shortly. I think there's a couple of them up on the website now. We're developing a like-minded community of people who are entrepreneurs and want to take advantage of every opportunity there is to be successful. We're also launching the Bob Pritchard Premium Club, which offers our listeners a fantastic range of benefits, advice, um, business tips, lots of giveaways and a host of really great stuff. And just to cover our administration costs, we're charging a nominal $12.99 a week. Um, and uh, I think you'll once you see the package, you'll think it's a fantastic deal. I'll be announcing more details of it over the next couple of weeks. Now, today's guest is Gray Bright. Now, he is a natural-born superstar, this guy. He's good-looking, he's super smart, and he's got a personality that just doesn't quit. The guy is bloody lightning in a bottle. And you hear about people, people say, oh, this guy, you know, he's got that X factor. Well, Gray has got the X factor in spades. And he's a robotic engineer by education. He's an electronics business specialist with a strong technical background in robotic and mechatronic engineering. He's also an experienced host and he's a stand-up comic. He's performed at iconic venues and events such as the Hollywood Improv, Sydney Comedy Festival, the Hong Kong Comedy Festival, plus with Monty Python at London's O2 Arena. And he is one hell of a good guy. I know him from metal, and uh, he is brilliant. So that's an interview to look forward to in just a couple of minutes after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. 
want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where over the past five years, we've given you the insights into the lives of over 250 of the world's most interesting business people, what they do, and what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and we we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's so important, and I stress this every week, go out and get yourself a few mentors, people, not great friends that are going to say yes to that everything you do is wonderful, but mentors who will give you good straight advice and, and people that have got a diversity of talents so that you can... Um, you don't make the mistakes that those that have gone before you have made. And everybody in business faces the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're a, a start up a dry cleaning business or whether you're creating an app. We all have faced the same challenges. You start off with a dream, you persevere, you overcome obstacles, and that's what makes you successful. Today's guest is Gray Bright, who's a He's a natural-born superstar, this guy. He's good-looking. He's super smart. He's got a personality that just doesn't quit. He's one of those bastards that I just don't like, you know? I don't I don't just, you know, when you're ugly and you've got no personality and no talent, these guys really piss you off. Um, and you hear references by people, you know, they say, I knew instantly that guy's got the X factor. Well, Gray's got the X factor in spades, and he's got an interesting background, really weird, actually. He's a robotic engineer by education. He's the host of the Tomorrow Show with Gray Bright, which is described as a late-night talk show focused on science and technology, a sort of a Jimmy Fallon, Conan-type program, but based on the belief that scientists and engineers are the new rock stars. Hmm. Um, he brings you all the fun of late-night talk shows, combines it with STEAM, which of course is science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics. Most people say STEM, you know, they talk about STEM. STEAM is so much more important. It's important to create, to encourage everybody that's got artistic bent in any direction. Um, 
It's described as an outrageous night of entertainment featuring special guests, interviews with entrepreneurs, comedy sketches, musical acts and much more. Now, he's an electronics business specialist with 15 years' experience in product development. Um, He's got a strong technical background in robotic and mechatronic. I don't know what that is. We'll ask him. Engineering. And uh, he's highly creative and innovative with a genuine passion for technology. So that puts him in that nerd box, right? So he's a nerd. However... He's an experienced host and stand-up comic. He's performed at iconic venues and events such as the Hollywood Improv, the Sydney Comedy Festival, the Hong Kong Comedy Festival, and with Monty Python at London's O2 Arena. Now, hang on. That puts him in the entertainment box. And most entertainers aren't that bright, so we'll have to work out how this works. Gray, hi. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to put on Luke the beginning of that. You were far too kind, but I do love a compliment, so I'm feeling very good now. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Now, reading up on you, I've read, I've read a whole bunch of stuff about you. You're described as a stand-up comic, a technology geek, a comedian, a TV host, an extrovert, and a heartthrob. Which, which one of those? Which, what the fuck are you? I wanted all of those as a kid. Honestly, at growing up as a kid, there was two main things in my life. I used to just have on loop Monty Python Flying Circus, and I just wanted to be a mad scientist, and I just built circuits. And somehow, I've actually just ended up kind of doing what I always wanted to do as a kid, which was just in some way host TV shows about comedy and science, and at the same time build robots and circuits. And so, yeah. I've, I've managed to get there somehow. Do um, did technology people generally buy tickets to shows and go along and sit at the Hollywood Bowl and laugh and clap and dance and giggle, or do they sit at home and watch National Geographic or something? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think if we take the the persona that was generated from films like uh, Revenge of the Nerds and, and other um, you know classic Hollywood films yeah, that yeah. always sort of had the, the nerd at the, the bottom of the social um, uh, ladder, yeah. I think we're on a massive change. And so I certainly know a whole lot of scientists and engineers who are some of the funniest people I've ever met. And I think this has always been the case, but now with you know, such change in the way that we have access to people's social posts and a whole lot of other ways of getting information out there and receiving information. I think we're seeing just a new generation of those who are not only from the entertainment space, but those who can actually tell jokes and build robots. And uh, yeah, that's why, as you mentioned, I firmly do believe that engineers are the new rock stars. They're creating the new world. We're going to Mars. It's a new landscape that we're in. So yeah, I'm very excited by it all. Yeah, it, it, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm bit, being a bit chung-in-cheek because you and I both belong to metal and, um, yep. you know, that's that's a great mixture of brains and, and comedy and fun and festivities and all of those sorts of things, yet the average IQ in the room taking me out is um, pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I often walk out of metal... You know, I've had a fantastic career, but I walk out of metal sometimes thinking, I am an idiot. 
And I, I've, sat here for, I've sat here for three hours and I'm still trying to work out what the hell they're talking about. Um, well, the classic is to give the listeners some background to the one that we just had uh, most recently with the human calculator, a yeah. man who holds the Guinness World Record for being able to do um, mathematical uh, equations in his head at a speed that made me wanted to just like walk away and go, I know nothing about math. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he he did it. But yeah, I completely understand what you mean, walking away just going, oh, I am not worthy. <laughs> and it's funny, it doesn't matter who you talk to, you can speak to Nolan Bushnell and he'll say the same thing. He'll say, you know, the, yeah. the, the quality of mind in this room is quite extraordinary. <laughs> so I guess that's why we're members. <clears throat> and meanwhile, he founded Atari. Yeah, that's right. What an idiot. <laughs> now, you love robotics and mechatronic yep. engineering. What the hell yep. is mechatronic engineering? <laughs> so mechatronic is the convergence of electrical and mechanical engineering. And what I like to use as the prime example of a mechatronic device is the automatic door system at, say, a shopping center or your local mall, where once you get close to the door, the door's open. That's a classic mechatronic system because it uses electronics to sense that you're present, that you are in within the range to open the door, and then it will use a mechanical system, often a um, often like an electromechanical system with a motor, and so that's the combination of electronic and mechanical engineering. And overall, a robot is a mechatronic device, um, and so. While I love electronics, I thought it was important to have the mechanical side as well um, so that I could create things that actually, yeah, move around and dance. And I'm just a big fan of robots, to be honest. <laughs> well, is um, artificial intelligence sort of the third dimension to, to that? To an extent, so where the AI comes into play is you can have, like, I'm actually sitting here, I'm looking at a, a robot that's on my desk right now. It's referred to as four degrees of freedom, which means that it basically has, like, consider it has four axes that it can move okay. along. Yep. Um, it's, like, it's like your arm. It looks like a, a robot version of an arm. Right now, it's sitting there with no software plugged into it. It just sits there and it does nothing. The software that runs it at the moment is quite... Um, quite simple and so it can move around and do things if i put more advanced software into it it could do more advanced things if i then gave it a level of intelligence it could automatically start to do things so while ai is not fundamentally required for these devices what it does is it just it's it's almost like powering up the device and it gives it new features and um yeah, AI is a very, I'm, I'm hyper interested in uh, where it is because we, we have certainly accelerated the level of AI um, in recent times. It's a trifle scary, isn't it? I, I spoke with a, um, an AI expert on the show, I guess a couple of years ago now, and their main concern was that the um, robots and the, the artificial intelligence would become very rapidly smarter than us and at Mm -hmm. that point we're in some deep (laughs) doo-doo yes this is the thing so uh, much like any scenario where you place a hypothetical towards it if i lay down ten thousand ways that i see the future going 
The majority of them, I would expect actually uh, that we live in harmony and the land of autonomous devices and robots actually does nothing but helps us move forward as a society and advances um, not only our longevity but our advancement as a race. Um, but certainly out of those 10,000 hypotheticals, there are a few of them to which basically robots and artificial intelligence are the end of civilization. There's only a few scenarios, but it's certainly, it's, look, it's not, um, it's, I don't think it's intelligent to have a conversation about AI's future without throwing out the possibilities that, yes, there, there are, of course, scenarios where you will get to a point where the system is sufficiently advanced that it, um, I'm not going to use the word that it um, has a conscience, but it's sufficiently advanced that it it deems us unnecessary or it deems us um, inappropriate to exist alongside it. And um, yeah, and so there's there's many different... uh, The way that I like to describe it is I see in a hypothetical landscape, the majority turn out good. A few of them, yes, there are bad scenarios. Okay. Now, you're also a director of Innovation X, which is a company focused Mm -hmm. on experimentation, innovation and development of cutting-edge digital properties across multiple verticals. And you're the founder of IO Labs, which is described as a new age laboratory. What do these companies do? Why are they different? What are they doing? Yeah, so Joseph Mark is the company that I'm the director of innovation at, and this is a digital ventures practice that we spend a lot of our time doing client work, uh, and so some of the projects that we're well known for are um, remaking MySpace a few years ago. Right. We build apps and digital platforms for banks, um, large-scale international brands. We come in and build their digital properties. The company consists of what I consider, honestly, some of the greatest designers um, in Australia. I'm based in Los Angeles. The company's based in Australia. And so I look after our US clients and also mm-hmm. contemplating the, uh, the future and looking towards where will we be in three to five years? What should we start thinking about? What products could we start building for the future? So it's a mixture of um, client-based work and then we build our own ventures. So we start companies that we then spin out into, um, you know, companies, standalone companies that then raise some cash or we sell them off. And so, yeah, we create create digital product and some real meaningful digital product, which is the great thing about it. Okay. IO Lab, is that... IOLab, yeah, IOLab came about, so whilst that is um, like a full-time job, a lot of, a lot of um, people just require me to do more consultant-style work. Right. So I come in and build, um, you know, either small-scale electronic projects for them or um, you can almost say that there's a project that um, – the, the company, Joseph, Mark, and I, we were on a TV show recently called America's Greatest Makers, and this was Mark Burnett teaming up with Intel sure. to create almost like uh, X Factor or American Idol for engineers. Yep. There was 24 teams, a million dollars up for grabs. Um, we created a new wearable. That company will be spun out of Joseph Mark in time. Once it goes off into a landscape, IOLab could do consulting work for it or it's, it's basically my consulting arm to enable me to do small-scale jobs for um, random opportunities. 
So if, if I'm listening to this show, what sort of people, what sort of businesses would hire you? Yeah, so, and this is where it's actually, it's quite a diverse background that I have. So while there, there's the entertainment side, which I'll completely strip away for a minute, yeah. um, my background is robotic and mechatronic engineering, and then I spent 11 years at the equivalent of Best Buy in Australia. Right. And I started on the shop floor. I always wanted to work for this company. They were the, the, the gentleman who owned or the, who's basically founded the company was a guy called Dick yep. Smith, and he's been Knew him well. And, Oh, yeah. what an amazing man. What an amazing man he is. And so I always wanted to work there. Started on the shop floor, finished studying. They then moved me up to Sydney, put me on a graduate program. By the end of my 11 years there, I was the head of private label. So I was manufacturing all of the home brand products, which is right. 1,500 consumer electronic products coming out of China and, and across Asia. So my brand is based in consumer electronics, retailing, and uh, marketing. I moved over to the US. I was manufacturing um, consumer electronics like speakers and headphones and keyboards and mice for brands such as Barbie, Glee, Family Guy, Star Wars, Ben 10, all of these brands, which are, their brand owners are based in, in LA, so I moved here like Nickelodeon, Fox, and was uh, manufacturing products for them. Then Will I Am, the singer from yes. Black Eyed Peas, an entertainer, he had a, a concept for a 3D printing store that he wanted to create where he could team up with like, you know, Justin Bieber and Britney Spears and produce one-off pieces of jewelry, print them out, sell them. And um, so I was brought in because I've got the engineering side and the retail side to create uh, the blueprint for this store, which turned out to be not very economical. And so it didn't progress forward. Um, but those are the sort of skill sets that I have, which is why I get brought in to look at futuristic opportunities that still have mass market appeal and require someone who can cross that boundary of actually being able to talk to an engineering room fundamentally about a product and then at the same time talk to a marketing room or go and speak to the buyer, go and speak to the CEO of a distributor or retailer to turn a product into a mass market opportunity. So it's it's a it's it's a sort of a, a dance that I do between business acumen around um, selling mixed with hardcore engineering and actually sitting down and doing circuit design, writing code. Yeah. That's pretty clever. You got just, I thoroughly enjoy it. Obviously. Um, I do <laughs> If you get a chance to see Bright anywhere, go along, Gray anywhere, He's he is fantastic. He just sort of lights up like a beacon. As soon as that spotlight gets on him, he's off. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great skill to have. Um, Thank you. Going back to Dick Smith, I remember when I first met Dick Smith, I was pitching him something, I can't remember what, and uh, he had a parking meter on his desk. And as soon as you walked in and sat down, he'd start the parking meter and you had three minutes to make your pitch. And as soon as the parking meter went, you were out. <laughs> you either convinced him or you were gone. And I always I always loved that. I thought that was really cool. That's so good. There's a, there's a photo of his office um, back in the days when he was sort of running the, the electronics store. Um, 
in his office and sitting, it's a picture of him at his desk and then behind him is just a giant, giant um, poster with the word no on it. <laughs> and so I, the rumors were like, people were just coming in, he's like, no, no, absolutely, you can convince me, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the Tomorrow Show, what is Ooh. the Tomorrow Show? So the Tomorrow Show came about from um, this this absolute passion that I have for comedy, um, and not only comedy, but obviously with understanding more about my background, I'm uh, science jokes. I find utterly hysterical. I love irreverence, but I love it when it's still tied to some sort of fact as well. And so, all my life, I watched late night talk shows. Right. Massive fan of Conan, Jay Leno. Even going back, like I still watch episodes of like Jack Parr, Ed Sullivan, Johnny yep. Carson, like the, the Masters. What fundamentally was my um, sort of, uh, or something that I felt missing was that they didn't interview those who I hold as my heroes, and so. If I look at those who I idolize, usually they are either CEOs, they're those who are in the science and tech space, astronauts, and I just felt like they don't have the same reach and they're not placed on a pedestal in the same way that actors and musicians are. And so I started this Tomorrow Show with the intention of it being, yeah, a late-night talk show for science and tech. And so it it follows the classic six-segment format of late-night talk shows, which is the host comes out and does a monologue, sketch, interview, sketch, interview, musical guest. Um, And the difference is it's just like my monologue jokes are basically jokes about what NASA has done that week and other crazy things in the science and tech landscape. And then those who we interview are, you know, inventors, astronauts, and unlike, like you mentioned Nolan Bushnell earlier, the founder of Atari. When I had Nolan on the show, whereas Jimmy Fallon would play um, karaoke with a with a musician, yeah. um, I wanted to play a game with Nolan, um, and so it was actually a neuroscience device which we'd created where I strapped him into this device and when he moves his arm, we copied the electrical signal from his motor cortex, took it, injected it into my arm. So when he moves his arm, it moved my arm and we had Pong, the video game (laughs) that he invented up on the screen. And he played Pong, but not by holding the controller. He would move his arm, which would force my arm to move, and I was holding the controller. So he technically played Pong, but using me as a surrogate. And so that's the type of insanity that we get up to on the Tomorrow Show. It's, it's, it really is a late-night talk show um, if scientists and engineers were celebrities to the same level as actors and musicians. What's the audience for the show? The demographics, so we, in terms of like in studio, we actually have uh, 40 to 50 people in the studio for our tapings. The demographic that um, I, I like to make reference to who I try and target through the Facebook ads and so on, um, it's those who I still feel enjoy the late night premise. So basically, if you like Conan or, or any of the Tonight Shows, um, and then also mix that in with if you're a fan of like Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, sure. or any of any of those who who are sort of the celebrities in the science and tech space. And then the classics of like, do you read Wide magazine? Are you a fan of like games? And it's it's a massive audience that is absolutely underserved. 
Um, just because the content's not out there. And I firmly believe that like, I've sat down with like the head of um, Comedy Central, Doug Herzog, and sat down with the head of, um, at the time, National Geographic, David Hill, to talk about how we take this there. But right now, the we've never had such a show. Neil deGrasse Tyson created a, a late night yes. talk show recently. It wasn't even, it was really just a, a podcast with a video camera. That's, that's all it was. <laughs> so no one's gone about it. I hope one day, like my ultimate plan, um, the, the absolute end goal for me is to own uh, a world leading robotics company and have a late night talk show on NBC. So those are the two goals for me. And I firmly believe that in time, Engineers and scientists will be held to the same standard and the same uh, up on the same pedestal as actors and musicians, and and we will celebrate them for who they are, which is those who change the world for better. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly got the the talent and the personality to be a late night talk show host of any variety, I would imagine. So I, I think that. Thank um, you. Um, if you, if you can get it up, it'll work because you've just got that sort of magnetic personality. So you were an entertainment first and a geek second. No, other way around. Other way around. Geek first. Geek first. I I could build circuits before I knew the sense. Uh, yeah, I basically I could build build robots before I knew the structure to write a joke. Um, I've always, my, my absolute goal in life has always been to be a mad scientist. Um, and then naturally over time, people around me just said, like, I always wanted to do stand up. A friend of mine forced me to go and do stand up. That then in time just became more and more and more. I ended up doing a, um, a three month us tour, hit 14 cities. Um, then started the Tomorrow Show. I will always have the entertainment side, but first and foremost, my passion lays um, within technology. I saw you last week talking about um, Pokemon Go. I think it was last week or <laughs> week before or something. That was bloody funny. I've got to tell you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. That could be a show on its own. So <laughs> you're quite the devotee. Um, do you use? Do, do you get involved in that sort of thing? Um, as a tool for marketing Grey Bright or the Tomorrow Show or what's it, what's your priority there in, in marketing and are you using those sorts of things as tools? Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes I can happily say yes. Um, that Pokemon one actually came about. I emailed uh, Ken, the organiser of Metal, and said, hey, Pokemon's massive at the moment. I feel like you you need to do a piece on this because this is a cultural phenomena. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll present on it. Um, I often miss opportunity because whilst um, I can still get on a stage and tell jokes, I, I've never been highly comfortable with the act of self-promotion. Um, I'm getting more and more comfortable with that. And I think that comes about from living in the US as well. It, it's actually a lot more allowed. Uh, I always felt yeah. like I wasn't allowed to really do self-promotion in Australia. It's very difficult so, in Australia. Yeah. So it's one where I'm getting better at it. But yes. in terms of like, for instance, as, as, as we all should when we do presentations and so on, at the end of the presentation, you should always offer the audience the chance to help you or you should offer yourself to the audience and say, hey, here are ways that you can get in contact with me. Here's, here's projects that I'm working on at the moment. I didn't do any of that because I got 
completely caught up in the fact that I just wanted to talk about Pokemon and do a 10-minute comedy bit on Pokemon. So I often do forget that, but the reason for bringing it up is to remind people always take the opportunity, if you are doing public speaking, take the opportunity to allow yourself to ask the audience for something that you need and also offer yourself and your services to the audience. Um, it's it's It feels unnatural and it feels like self-promotion, but as an audience member, you actually do want that from your presenter. You want them to say, hey, I'm working on this. Can you help me out? Or, hey, check this out. This is something that I'm doing. So it was a missed opportunity for me. Yeah, I think that um, being an entertainer certainly helps you as a public speaker. I, I was an entertainer for in Australia. For I was on television for quite a number of years, way back before you were even thought of. And... Um, <laughs> And I, I'm, I'm also a public speaker and I've done a couple of thousand speeches around the world and it's a big help if you are an entertainer because it does because you do draw from the audience and you do give to the audience much more than somebody who's just got up and can talk about widgets. Totally. Absolutely. So how did that um, flood of people on Santa Monica Pier happen at three o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was. Yeah, so this is the thing. Now, I go down to the Santa Monica Pier most nights. Um, I'm 34, so when Pokemon originally came out, I was like 16 or 17. I, I'm I'm what you would refer to as a, a quite an old uh, Pokemon nerd. But I go down to the pier. They're not organized events. It's not like anyone's actually saying, hey, everybody go down here and meet up. The reason everyone's down there is because there are a lot of um, uh, pokey stops down there, which is places that you can get um, sure. like extra goods and so on. And so naturally everyone's down there, but we're talking like two, 300 people at two in the morning. And even though people are looking at their phone, you're still walking around, smiling, high-fiving. I walk around the streets and I, I now, being a, being a big Pokemon player, I can tell who is actually playing Pokemon. All you need to say is like, hey, what team are you on? Or have you found any rare Pokemon or things like that? Not one person has given me attitude or not replied with a smile. There's something so strong about this community and I've only found it to be friendly. And it's it's, it's honestly been quite amazing. And it's, it's almost like we're all friends instantaneously because of this game. Yeah. Yeah, quite, quite amazing. So... How does, how does Pokemon work? I know how it works, but how does it work from a commercial point of view? Do, do businesses and cities or municipalities buy the Pokemon At characters? The moment, for no. the, how does that work? No. Yeah, so in time, the, the, the thoughts are basically this is a giant game that uh, is based on a map that you have to go around and find Pokemon that randomly appear. Um, at some businesses, they are pokey stops where you go and you collect stuff. Um, those businesses never applied for it. The game framework actually came from another game called Ingress, and that was where they built this like sort of like Google map game. So it's using all the data from that. In time, they certainly will monetize it and allow businesses to request stops to be placed around their area. Um, also, there's rumors that McDonald's are going to do a massive deal and basically turn every McDonald's into a location. As I walk around my local neighborhood, 
these the, the a lot of businesses that know that they're a pokey stop are putting signs out the front saying, hey, Pokemon players get 10% off. <laughs> if you're level five and above, you can get this. Um, and they're just, they're, they're, some may say they're cashing in on the opportunity and it's kind of exactly what they are doing. This and is good on Yeah, exactly. Um, it's out there and it's, yeah, in time, there's going to be different ways of monetizing it. Um, I think obviously like the quantity of people playing will decrease over time, but it's still... It's an enormous game, and there will still be millions and millions of players in months' time. Well, it's still growing unbelievably quickly. We've only got a couple of minutes left, so you're also a devotee of Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> yes. Are you a Bitcoin devotee from the um, um, blockchain end or sort of from the currency perspective? No, from the tech side. So I used to mine bitcoins, and um, the machine that I used was called an ATSIC uh, machine. It's, it's, it's basically a device that does computations in, yep. a, in a specific way. Um, sure. It also produces so much heat that one of the great things was a couple of winters ago while I was mining bitcoins, I didn't need to use a heater because my apartment was like <laughs> on fire because of this damn machine. Um, I... Much like the Pokemon community, I found, um, I actually found uh, friends within the community and it became this, um, it almost became like a community engagement thing for me. I moved from um, from Bitcoin into um, the other alternate coins like Litecoin, Fedacoin, and my favorite, which was Dogecoin, which was almost like a, a comedy coin. It was a, a coin based off a picture of a dog from the internet <laughs> and in turn, this is how incredible it was. Over the time, we as a community sponsored a NASCAR for some crazy reason. And I've never watched a NASCAR race before, but I went off to the bar during one of these NASCAR races, and there was this picture of this dog of <laughs> Dogecoin on the back of a car going around NASCAR. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, this silliness would not have occurred in any other fashion apart from like some, some crazy people who were like making uh, cryptocurrencies and then going off and <laughs> sponsoring yeah. NASCARs. So I had fun with it. Yeah, I, um, I'm an investor in um, Ethereum. and we, we got off to a great start. We had about $23 oh. and then all of a sudden we were yeah. hacked and woo, down she went, big slide. But, um, it's hard, isn't it? Oh, it's hard. I got the fingers crossed. Although I'm still in, yeah. front. I'm still in front, pretty much no matter what happens. But nevertheless, <laughs> it was dis- so, uh, all of these coins. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy not only, as you mentioned, the blockchain. I'm hyper interested in what they are as a currency, but I'm interested in them uh, from a technology point of view. And ultimately, speaking of currencies, this is one that I only came across this concept a while ago. It was Elon Musk who was talking about it? Earth based currencies, once we colonize Mars, we're going to have to work out a value of currency for Earth because, and then what currency will, will Mars use? And yeah, I think it's, it's very exciting times considering the fact that like 20 years ago, none of this was even a concept really, whereas now like it's real. Yep, it's certainly real. Great. Thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now you can learn more about Grey Bright by going to Gray Bright, G-R-A-Y, Bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, dot com. Thank you, Gray. I really appreciate it. 
Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'll see you Saturday. Absolutely, will do. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. The number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment. Four days ago, 7-Eleven, which is, as you know, the world's largest convenience retailer, and Flirty, which is a leading independent drone delivery service, announced that they'd completed the first fully autonomous drone delivery to a customer's residence to advance research towards integrating drones into the national airspace system. This delivery is the first time a U.S. customer has received a package to their home via drone, representing a historic milestone in both U.S. and global commerce. This is going to be all the go in the very near future. This drone required um, special flight planning, risk analysis and detailed flight procedures, ensuring residential safety and privacy, but it will not take long. Um so at a Reno, Nevada 7-Eleven store, two deliveries were successfully completed, one including hot and cold food items, were, located, were loaded onto a unique flirty drone delivery container and flown autonomously using precision GPS to a local customer's house. Once at the backyard, the flirty drone hovered in place and gently lowered each package and the purchases were delivered to the family in the span of just a few minutes from ordering them. And products included Slurpee drinks, which remained ice cold, a chicken sandwich, donuts, hot coffee, which remained hot. Incredible. So in the future, both companies expect drone packages to include everyday essentials that you can buy from 7-Eleven. Now, when you think about it, it's amazing that a flying robot just delivered hot food and cold food, kept it hot, kept it cold in just a matter of minutes. And uh, 7-Eleven says drone delivery is just the ultimate convenience for their customers and these efforts create enormous opportunities to redefine convenience. This delivery marks the first time a retailer's worked with a drone delivery company to transport immediate consumables from stores to homes. Uh, in the future, 7-Eleven plans to make their entire range available for delivery in just minutes. Consumers today have demanding schedules. They're on the go 24-7. I know I am. and need help to navigate the challenges of their daily lives. So you can look forward to a flirty delivering to you exactly what you need whenever and wherever you need it. This Tesla controversy is still going on. Um, this is 
the issue over the fatal accident with an autonomous vehicle. Uh, so let's look at the facts. It wasn't Tesla's autopilot that drove the car into the side of a truck. The truck just swerved suddenly into Tesla's lane and it was impossible for the car to avoid it, whether it had a driver or it didn't have a driver. So there's a big difference in those two scenarios, one caused by the autonomous car and the other with a truck ploughing into it. I just hope that we don't get government regulators involved in this because the government can't regulate anything and when they do, they do it at a snail's pace. Just ask anyone who depends on government for their business. They're bloody useless. They make decisions and when they fuck up, which is a regular exercise, they just make up new rules, take more time and screw up again. You know, these regulations just incur more fees, increase costs, often dramatically. The regulators who produce these rules are unaccountable to pretty much everyone. You know, I've heard people say that um, Tesla's moving too fast, that technology's too far ahead of its time, and this is proven by this very regrettable fatality. That's just bullshit. Around 100 people are killed on US roads every day, around 40,000 fatal crashes every year. Two people were killed last week by lightning strikes. Good like good luck regulating lightning. People, you know, Tesla and six other major motor vehicle manufacturers are developing autonomous vehicles. Tesla just happens to be leading the pack. As for the ridiculous claim that Tesla is using humans as guinea pigs to test unproven cars and technology, that doesn't deserve explaining. Well, maybe you have to explain it to the morons who peddle this illogical tripe. God, I don't know. There are some people who just resist change, no matter what. No matter how logical the change is, or how simple it is, and then they use any small thing that happens to justify their stance. It is ridiculous. In the meanwhile, remember that if you're not really pushing the envelope and are not living right on the edge, then you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I look forward to your company again next week when I will actually be broadcasting from Arizona. So I look forward to seeing you then. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.